and welcome to the Jenny Talks podcast. Today's episode is a conversation with Tim Leeson, who is the host of the General's Speech podcast. We talk about mental health in young people, particularly um, from a kind of faith-based context, but with wide-ranging, a wide-ranging kind of conversation. In this episode, we go both wide and deep with questions about what young people need and how the church might meet those needs or not, as the case may be. We talk about power and how this impacts young people and youth workers and about current ways of thinking in the world of mental health. As Tim says in his intro, he's a long-term youth worker, having worked in faith contexts for most of the time, but now working outside of the church. I forgot to ask Tim about his recommendations for who to talk to next, so I did this a bit later, and he recommended Alan Klein, who's another long-term youth worker who's written about youth work and youth ministry, so I'm going to make contact with him to invite Alan to come on. Do check out Tim's podcast, search for The General's Speech on, on Spotify, and I hope you enjoy our conversation coming up in just a moment. Hi, Tim, and welcome to the Jenny Talks podcast. It's really great that you're joining us today. Hi, Jenny, and welcome to the General Speech podcast. It's really great that you're joining us today. <laughs> this is going to be slightly weird, isn't it, doing two two recordings at the same time, but it's but it's really brilliant. So I'm going to get in first and say, could you kind of introduce yourself a little bit for the Jenny Talks listeners? Yes, that's fine. So um, uh, my name's Tim. Uh, I've been uh, involved in... Um, faith-based youth work in some capacity or another for the best part of the kind of last two decades um, and recently uh, left that world to um, still do work with young people but work specifically around mental health and and not uh, to do with faith um, and I started my podcast which is the general speech podcast earlier this year um, just as a way of keeping those kinds of lively conversations about faith uh, alive in my life basically um, because I miss those um, and it's it's a lot of the time they're conversations which are quite critically reflective about religion and faith and um, the the negative impacts that those things can have on people's lives as well as the positive impacts so so that's kind of where I'm coming from um, sure. and Jenny would you like to introduce yourself for the listeners of the General Speech Podcast, of which there are yes. about six? <laughs> <laughs> well, hi, all you six people listening to the General Speech Podcast. Um, <laughs> my name is Jenny Osborne, and like Tim, I have been in youth ministry um, and youth work for the past 20-odd years, um, and much of that in and around faith-based youth work, although I worked in, uh, like I was a teacher in a, in a secondary school for a little while. Um, so that was um, a slightly different, perhaps, um, context for working with young people. Um, and like Tim, you know, I have got to a place now where um, I am less sort of focused on church-based youth work, although still um, kind of championing, championing that where I can. Um, and the Jenny Talks podcast has very much been part of that if you like although I'm keen for, for it to be um, from across a different spectrum of ideas um, mm -hmm. so I want to sort of draw in some different people on that um, my podcast like yours started over the summer um, I've been freelance for a couple of years now doing some uh, training around young people and mental health in the church I wrote a Grove book about that um, which is actually called mental health and young people um, rather than the other way around so yeah, so I've been, that's 
it's a, a real passion of mine um like it is i know yours tim to mm. kind of think about young people mental health um and with a critical reflective view on how church can help um with that um yeah and we met didn't we because we both um, were part of the think tank for um, young people and mental health that was run by the London Diocese. That's right. Um, and I think that they had an aim too of kind of trying to critically reflect on how the church um, was managing with this and, and how we could up, try and upskill, I guess, the church or try and kind of encourage churches to do things better um, yeah. as far as our young people and mental health were concerned. So I have a bit of a question for you, which, you know, might start us start off this conversation. Cool. Um, what is it that young people need? Uh, cool. So you're starting off with a nice, easy one. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I should say, I, I don't know if it's picking up on the microphone at all, but my um, cat is here next to me and she's in like <laughs> full like flirt mode. So I don't know if her purring is picking up on the microphone. I hope that that's a nice noise for listeners, not a distracting one. Um, but if, if you do, if you do hear it, Jenny, and it's annoying, then let me know and I'll kick her out. <laughs> um so what do young people need I, I mean i mean that's so huge i don't even know where to begin with it really mm -hmm. i think um i think probably i would say that what young people need is not that different to what people need in general um mm -hmm. and that this is something that i've become kind of increasingly um kind of passionate about over the past kind of couple of years um i've just i've just finished a, a doctorate, um, which I maybe should have said in my intro just a second ago. Um, and one of the th kind of things that came up in that is that the, the kind of culture of youth ministry in the church and youth work outside of the church, I think sometimes sets up false um, barriers between young people mm. and adults, as if we're two different species. Um, mm. and I really don't think that we are. And I think that when I look back on my, uh, like I say, nearly 20 years in, in youth work, um, young people have motivated me and inspired me and taught me and I have learnt from them. And I don't, I mean, that's such a, that, that can be, that can sound almost like a twee thing to say, like a tried thing to say, you know, like, no, oh, they teach me as much as I teach them. But, but I mean that very sincerely that there have been times in my life um, where I've been grappling with some pretty intense mental health issues myself. Um, and the young people who I've worked with who have their own mental health issues have been what have helped me to get out of bed in the morning, you know, just the thought that they can do it. And yeah. if they can do it, I can do it too. And so, so, yeah, sorry, I went off on a little bit of a tangent then, but that, that is to say that I, I don't think young people's needs are that different to, to any of our needs. And those mm. needs, I mean, apart from the obvious ones like shelter and food and whatever else, I'm guessing that's not what you meant. <laughs> um, I think <laughs> for me, the, the most important thing is to feel loved and mm. able to give love. Um, and that's again, potentially a slightly twee thing to say. It's a, a little bit kind of Russell Brandy. Um, but I, I do think that's the, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes he sometimes goes into yeah. full on six form poet mode, which I'm not such a fan of, but, um, but that, that, that is he has true. some great things to say as well. Um, 
Yeah, and so I think uh, like that's been really thrown into sharp relief this year with COVID and that kind of thing, um, because as we've had to keep our distance from each other, um, uh, I I feel myself as an adult like that's been really difficult on like in terms of my mental health, and I think that young people have been feeling the same thing that when you can't see your friends, when you can't connect with people, when you can't feel like you're part of something, uh, that's a really difficult thing. So. That's a, a really, really broad answer, but I think that's that's where I'd want to start, really. Um, mm. Yeah. Does, what do you think? Yeah. Well, I, I I don't disagree with you at all. I think that's I think it's a really key thing, and I like that way that you put it about um, they need to be be loved or know that they are loved, but also give love. I think mm. something that we miss. Is, young people particularly perhaps young people in church is the, is is that um reciprocation of uh whatever it is that we're trying to do so i read in lots of books about youth ministry um that they often say something along the lines of well young people need um to kind of grow their identity they are empty vessels crying out to be filled or to belong to something and that's often with an unspoken idea that that god or the church might be the thing they belong to yeah. or become become something that perhaps um helps them in their day-to-day life i guess and, and while that's that's one way of looking at it and i think um i've but i think i've become more questioning of that point of view and especially as you just said in the light of uh this year in particular and i've been hearing the voice of young people so much more strongly this year in terms of stuff like race um and climate the climate crisis Mm. and then even down to their exam results this summer and just how you know how much outrage there was in in adults and how much stress there was for for the parents of those young people but how the young people themselves you know actually said this is not okay and i'm not going to i'm not going to just sit around and let you do this to me (laughs) and i think sometimes the way that that church youth work works is that doing of the youth work to the young people yes. and not necessarily recognizing that young people are people too <laughs> and they're not empty vessels you know absolutely not empty vessels yes yeah, absolutely um yeah that some of them Sorry, you know maybe some of them may be quite kind of um disenfranchised um and and might feel quite disconnected from community but I think if you look at the the good stuff that young people have been doing in recent weeks months and over the last couple of years in particular thinking about Greta Thunberg Mm -hmm. from you know she was most in the news last year wasn't she really Mm um I'd say and I think we've really got to as a church we need to take more notice of that yeah yeah I um I completely agree with you and that was one of the things that I uh always struggled with um especially the nearer to the kind of decision-making center of the church that I got in my career. Um, the more I felt that, that the, there's a lot of uh, talk about making sure that we hear young people's voices and that they've got stuff to teach us uh, and, and that kind of thing, which I think is meant sincerely, but it, what, what then happens with it in practice is I think often it can be it becomes a kind of tokenism um kind of thing so uh we end up bringing young people into our meetings into the kind of grown-up meetings and giving them five minutes to talk about whatever it is that they want to talk about 
And then we kind of carry on with our agenda. And we potentially, again, very sincerely say lovely things about the young people and we're so great to hear their passion. And, you know, we will definitely take their thoughts on board and reflect on them as we, you know, and that kind of thing. But it's, it's a kind of, um, it's kind of like saying, I think I've probably said this in another episode of the podcast. So forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but the, the, the kind of language is we'd like you to come and sit at our table for a bit, but it's still our table. Um, and yeah. we still expect you to follow our rules and, you know, whatever to, to yeah. take your shoes off and to keep your elbows off the table or whatever it is. Um, so you're really yeah. welcome because we love you, but you're not so mm-hmm. welcome that you can change the rules. And, uh, and mm-hmm. even more than that, you know, we're, we're not going to come to your table or if we do, if we do come to you in your context, it's to bring you out of it and into ours. Because ours is the one where we think you should be, if you see what I mean. So we'll do kind of yeah. cool, like, you know, we'll send youth workers down to the skate ramps to hang out with the kids there. And we'll learn to speak their language and listen to their music and that kind of stuff. But the goal is ultimately to come to church on a Sunday morning. It's the it's to teach them our language and to teach them our customs. And it feels like a kind of um, colonialism almost. Um yeah, yeah. And it's and yeah. it's there's an irony to it because we have all this lovely language of, you know, the children are the future, you know, that that kind of you know, we really believe that young people have stuff to say to us, you know, they're so passionate and we want them in the church and that kind of thing. But then in practice yeah. it so so often ends up looking like this kind of um yeah, colonialism. I think you're absolutely right, Tim. And I've had so many conversations, even just this week, um, about that that very thing um and often perhaps more from the youth workers point of view so where the youth worker is working in a church they perhaps have had some have hopefully had training um you know in those very really key values um that we use for youth work about participation and empowerment and equality and diversity and you know being young people led and all of that sort of stuff and unfortunately um the empowerment of the young people to use their voice within a, a church setting can by and large only go so far. And so you end up with the youth worker feeling very disillusioned about the fact that they've been, they've been trying to kind of um, do good youth work and encourage the young people to um, use their voice and to participate well and all of that sort of stuff. And they find that actually it's not going to go very far in a church. And so they leave because it's not really what they want to be doing and they go and find youth worker jobs that are that are more um you know that do use all of those values a little bit more practically and and I guess that's true too then from the young person's point of view um you know they're encouraged and they're um empowered to a certain point and then and then that sort of seems to just drop off Mm -hmm. um and as you say we're always the adults then are always inviting the young person to their own table or they come to the young person's table, but with their own agenda. And I think that that's really one of the things that's so tricky about church um, um, today, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think I'd, I would just um, to just to not completely be unkind about the church, I would say that that's um in, in my experience of the past year of working in completely uh, non-church youth work contexts, mm-hmm. um, that that's just as true outside of the church as well. That I think wherever there is a situation, 
I guess it's a power, a power thing, wherever there's a situation in which people oh. have power and authority, um, even with the best will and intention in the world and the best kind of sound bites about including young people and getting young people mm. participating and that all yeah. that kind of stuff that actually in practice th- it, it can it can feel like kind of hitting your head against a brick wall sometimes um uh, yeah i i think it's i guess the the frustration with the church is that the church has this stuff built into its constitution into into its dna so mm. um big businesses even i guess to an extent kind of statutory youth work services and whatever they they don't have the same um kind of uh, what's what i'm looking for the same kind of ethical grounding that the church has with with with, yes, with, cool. with jesus as its figurehead who is all about this kind of stuff who is all about mm. giving power to the powerless and taking power away from the powerful mm. and redistributing it um mm. so i guess the frustration with the church is that we should be better we should know better yeah. um and yeah. um you know if if the goal is just to make money then you can argue that you know kind of good youth participation and inclusion is actually the way of the future and that that works and it makes sense from a business point of view or whatever but it takes a bit of persuading but with the church that's not even the goal the goal is the goal is this kind of stuff to to emancipate and to liberate and to give power um so i guess it's just it's the same wherever there are humans wherever there is power the same thing plays itself out but the frustration with the church is that come on guys come on look at who we're following Look at what this is about. We should be better. We should know better than this. Um, yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. So if we move slightly on to kind of the mental health particularly angle, just mm-hmm. aware that, um, yeah, we've sort of slipped away from that for for the first little bit. That's cool. fine. Um, what do you think um about how does mental health impact our young people i mean that's again that's it seems such a sort of broad question (laughs) Mm -hmm. but but let's kind of take it and go from there a little bit what do you think well i mean it's especially huge at the moment isn't it Uh, we've we've already spoken a little bit about the the kind of covid situation the isolation Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing um Mm -hmm. i think there's a really interesting conversation to be had about um is is the state of young people's mental health worse now than it was 30 years ago? Or Mm. is it that young people now have uh, a language um, to express their mental health and are encouraged to talk about it? And so we're just more aware of it now than before. Mm. Um, I think there are some, definitely some particular 21st century mental health issues I think mm. social media is a huge one. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, again, obviously COVID, I think kind of climate anxiety and, you know, mm-hmm. the kind of 24 hour rolling news thing that, you know, you open your phone and every time you open it, there's headlines screaming at you that everything's terrible and the world's going to end soon. Um, yeah. So I definitely do think that there are some things which are particular to now, which aren't mm-hmm. great for mental health. But then, you know, 50 years ago, it was the Cold War and the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, and before yeah. that it was World War Two, and that yeah. this stuff yeah. has always been around. So I'm not yeah. sure. I'm not sure whether people feel worse today than they have before, or whether we're just able to talk about it uh, mm. better um, than we did before. Mm. Uh, I, mm. I really feel like the jury's out on that one. Um, mm. Mm. I I feel sometimes 
we have a culture which is prone to like we love diagnosing stuff and we love putting a label on things so (laughs) if you feel a bit anxious you have anxiety Mm. you know and if you Mm. feel a bit sad you have depression um Mm. and i wonder whether that's always helpful i think obviously in 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 times when it is genuinely an illness, obviously having the diagnosis is helpful and going on medication and getting treatment and whatever else. Yeah. But I, yeah. I wonder if maybe sometimes we potentially need to slightly redress the balance and, and, and just mm-hmm. in terms of articulating, like it's normal mm-hmm. to feel this way. It's okay to feel this way. Everybody feels this way sometimes. And it doesn't mean that there's anything hugely wrong with you or that you you have an imbalance in your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. And I've wondered that about my own. I mean, I've talked a bit about my own mental health issues i've mm. i've grappled with anxiety for as long as i've been an adult uh, and and before mm. then actually even as a teenager and mm. in the past couple of years i've i've had some issues with depression um mm. and i've wondered whether you know is do i is this a, a condition that i have like an illness or mm. is it just that um i'm feeling what lots of people are feeling maybe even most people are feeling mm. um mm. And I just need to find a way of managing it in a healthy way and talking about it and that kind of thing. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree that we have a tendency to patholog- patholog- pathologize. <laughs> That's hard to say when you think it is. Um, and we have a tendency to want to put a label on things. Um, you know, the same is true for sort of... Um, learning needs, you know, and labeling people ADHD or um, with Asperger's or, you know, these things that they are definitely um, conditions in and of themselves. Um, But I think we can be too quick to put the label on it. Mm -hmm. But I think in a sense that's that's kind of young people driven as well, because, um, you know, if you go into a school and talk, um, you know, my kids, so I've got two boys, one is 14 and one is 11, both at the same secondary school now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I used to be a PSHE teacher myself. That's what I taught when I was in secondary school cool. teaching. Um, and I was always really keen that kids should have the language to express their emotional need. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, part of that, that's always been sort of with me, if you like, through my youth work as well as my teaching history but I know that my older boy in particular he has had PSAT lessons recently where in um where they've talked about you know anxiety and depression and, and the kids kind of their reaction to it is always really interesting and can be very over the top and mm-hmm. very kind of like oh, if you are you know and I've got anxiety because I was a bit anxious about my test this morning and you're like well you're doing the test so you're going to be a bit anxious yeah. it's it's kind of that's a very normal thing to feel as you say and we perhaps can be a bit too quick to um to create a, a whole um thing out of that um but also my younger boy he is definitely suffers with more anxiety than my older boy does yeah. um so looking at those two together is an interesting thing and and my little one will feel it much more feel much more anxious about a vocabulary test um for example or whatever um and and i think for him it's part of his i think he's a highly sensitive child um and so therefore you know he he feels the feelings much more deeply um than than my older one does who who doesn't doesn't fit that 
uh, highly sensitive kind of criteria quite so mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. I think um but I think uh, yeah, sorry, go on, sorry. Cut across you. Um I was just gonna say we we are um so with the organization that I work for at the moment, um, who I, I, I don't think I'll name just because I'm not officially kind of representing them and I don't want to kind of um, say anything that would get me into trouble at work, but um, but <laughs> this is fairly safe. Uh, we're having, so, so you know, we're, we're, we focus on mental health and well-being, and that's kind of our mm. specialty. And at the moment we're having this conversation about possibly shifting the language more from mental health towards the language of well-being, because it feels okay. like um, sometimes the language around mental health can feel quite binary. Like you either have a mental health condition or you don't, you either have the label or you don't. So you can see the word mental health and think that's not for me because I don't have a yeah. diagnosis basically. Whereas well-being is something that we can all relate to and it's on a spectrum. So, you know, on one end of the spectrum of well-being, everything's great and you feel peaceful and happy and alive and all that kind of stuff. And on the other end, obviously other really, really serious mental health conditions like psychosis or suicidal mm -hmm. thoughts or, or whatever it is. Um, so yeah. I, I think, I think that kind of language shift makes it make sense because it kind of, so, um, I mean, I won't talk about your two sons cause I don't know them, but based on what you've just said, the, the language of mental health might seem really relevant to one of them and maybe less so to the other, but the language of well being yeah. and how you look after your state of mind and, um, feel happy and safe and good in yourself. That's relevant to both of them, regardless of where they are on the kind of spectrum. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I I'm kind of up for that. I think I think yeah, I mm -hmm. I twenty four seven all the time, three hundred sixty five days a year. Well being is an issue yeah. for me as it is for all of us. Um, whereas mm -hmm. there are times in my life when mental health feels like an issue, and there's times when it doesn't. Um, does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I would com I completely see that in my own life. You know, there have been times where, um, yeah. I, things have felt um a lot more like well this is you know life is good and things are going along okay and um you know and then other times where it's been much harder to kind of lift my head up if you mm -hmm, if, mm -hmm. uh, want a better way to put it so um i think that's a really interesting shift of language it'd be it'd be interesting to see um kind of uh, and i think that that's i've seen a few different places where that seems to be the the shift that's taking place generally in the in the mental health world if you mm -hmm. like um and there's much more talk of this idea of a, of a spectrum and it's not you know you either have a mental health illness or you don't yeah. it's a mental illness rather or you don't it's it's more of this spectrum of feeling different ways that we feel yeah. ourselves or not or, or not as the case may be and that's that's uh, really important it's hard because there isn't i mean like with with your physical health you can get a blood test or an autopsy or a cat scan or whatever it is and you can pinpoint the thing that's gone wrong and you can say you do you have got a cold or you have got cancer or you know whatever it is um whereas with mental health like you say because it's more it's it's harder to kind of grasp and th there are i think certain conditions that you can do that with i think there's types of psychosis or something where you can literally look at the chemicals in the brain yeah. and say look this is literally something that's here and you can pinpoint it but i would say with the majority of mental health issues because it's such a spectrum it's hard to know at yeah. what point feeling anxious becomes a diagnosable kind of illness um yeah, yeah. whereas i think if we shift a little bit more towards the language of well-being we can say actually mm. looking after your anxious feelings is important all of the time regardless of who you are um 
And I think that that's quite helpful. That's absolutely not to take away from the fact that for some people, um, a, a diagnosis really does matter. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to kind of come across as uh, a, anti-professional mental health <laughs> support because obviously, obviously when there's a real illness in place, then getting therapy and medication, whatever else it is, is, is absolutely yeah. what you should be doing. Um, but but yeah, yeah. I guess for most people, most of the time, the language of well-being is probably more, I guess, accessible, maybe palatable than some of the language around mental health. And it also obviously points to it being a long, a long journey, as it were. You know, we, we, we will need to look after our mental health, our mental well-being all through our lives, not only when we're teenagers. Yeah. Um, I think that um, I liked what you said at the beginning about um, we can sometimes we it's almost as if young people are a whole different species yeah, yeah. <laughs> people. And I think we can fall into that trap a little bit um, because they are adolescents, because I guess they're at a very particular stage in um, in their development as as, as people. Um, then we can we can kind of end up looking at them like a different a different kind of breed, really. Um, and I guess that's true for our, for our mental health. A lot of a lot of mental illness doesn't really manifest itself fully until um, young adulthood, um, particularly the more serious conditions, I guess. Um, it's difficult to diagnose. I'm uh, learning more and more just how tricky it can be for even for professionals yeah. to, to actually diagnose a particular condition or not, um, depending on, you know, all, there are so many different factors they have to take into consideration. Um, and so many different ways that these that, that conditions like psychosis and schizophrenia and, um, you know, down to the sort of, uh, I was going to say less complicated, borderline personality disorder is not less complicated <laughs> at all. Very complex, of course, of course. Um, <laughs> but seems quite specifically different in a, in a way to, to the understanding of um, schizophrenia and psychosis, which seem to go hand in hand a bit more um, from what I can from what I can understand I'm do, currently doing and again as you said perhaps shouldn't should have mentioned this earlier I'm currently doing a psychology course so I've done quite a lot of study on <laughs> schizophrenia and psychosis oh, interesting. Um, which um, has been really interesting but also a little bit disheartening to kind of go oh people, we don't necessarily know very much yeah. about these about uh, conditions that seem to cause pro uh, cause a lot of problems for people uh, for some people and then also there are lots of people perhaps who would say it's not a problem for me to live this way it's a different way of living yeah. that's all yeah. um, and it's quite profound I think some of those experiences yeah absolutely I think there's there's definitely um something really important to be I, I can remember as a um teenager and into my early 20s and feeling like uh anxiety was was really kind of life-threatening really like not in the sense of kind of feeling suicidal but just in the sense of like I I felt like I couldn't face the world and it was too scary and talking to my mum who uh, has also had her grapples with anxiety and I can remember her saying to me as somebody 30 years older than me you know a lot of the time mm -hmm. it's just about kind of making my peace with anxiety and just kind of accepting that this is the way I'm going to feel now for a couple of days yeah. and at the time as somebody in my early 20s I remember thinking that just isn't good enough I can't I 
can't make my peace with this because it's it's fucking horrible like i just want to sorry i don't know if i'm allowed to swear on your podcast but but i have uh, apologies to jenny's listeners um but it's horrible it's it, like it it feels so kind of overwhelming and actually as i you know i'm now in my mid-30s and there are still times when it feels that way but there are also times when i am able to do that thing that my mom talked about which is just to go ah, this is how i'm feeling at the moment okay well, it's just how it's going to be for a few days and that's okay. And I guess that kind of comes with, I don't know if that's necessarily an age brings wisdom thing um, because I'd be very hesitant to apply any label of wisdom to myself. <laughs> um, but I think it's probably just a sense of I've been on this journey and I've done it so many times. Yeah. The, the feeling yeah. is so familiar that I know it's not going to yeah. kill me, that I know it's not going to be kind of yeah. absolute, <clears throat> excuse me, absolutely well destroying um, mm. that just so when we were talking just now about um uh youth not being distinct from adults um it mm. brought to mind a really great do you, are you um are you part of iasym the it's such a mouthful the international association for the study of youth ministry and um, I have come across them. I'm not. I'm not a member, or um, yeah, I haven't sort of looked at it okay. too closely. But certainly, well, yeah, heard of them. First of all, let me say that it's a brilliant organisation, and I really, really recommend anyone who's interested in youth ministry to to sign up. And um, but they publish a, a journal, the Journal of Youth and Theology. And a few years ago, um, okay. there's a brilliant uh, article written in the journal um, by a guy called uh, František Steck, who uh, I can't remember where he comes from. He's I think from maybe finland Pol I, know, I can't remember it'll come back to me but he wrote this article called uh who are youth in theological perspective and basically the whole gist of the argument is that theologically speaking youth isn't a formational stage which we step into and then step out of as we get older it's a state of being yeah. it's a it's a way of approaching life and approaching god that never leaves us and so he describes youth as kind of being characterized by longing for love and acceptance, searching for meaning, openness, excitement, activity, creativity, hope, etc. Um, and he, I, I really love that idea that, and I really, it really resonates with me as well, because, uh, you know, I've mm -hmm. half of my life now has been not as a teenager, if you see what I mean. Like I, I've, I, I stopped being a teenager 18 years ago Um or, or whatever I don't know I'm not good at maths <laughs> but I still very much at times <laughs> feel like like I don't feel that different to how I felt when I was 17 no. and I love that idea that mm. youth and youthfulness is something that I'll carry with me until the day that I die um and so is you know old age you know you meet old 10 year olds mm. don't you who you know you talk about having old mm. souls and that kind of stuff and I really like that idea that we we don't grow out of that youthful state of mind, that youthful way of approaching life and that youthful hope and way of communicating with God and with humanity. Um, and I think that that's really relevant to the mental health thing as well, isn't it? Because I think when you're in those really like dark chapters of your mental health, uh, it, you can feel like a helpless child almost, you know, like you need somebody to help you get dressed in the morning. Um, and the way to get out of that doesn't change if you're 16 or if you're 50. Um, you still need people around you. You still need to be loved. You still need support and maybe someone to hold your hand for a time. Um, 
Yeah. So I, I, I'm really into that idea that, you know, youth, young people aren't different to us. Mm. Um, mm. Yes. I, I completely agree. I, I, I like that idea that we, that we bring our youth with us. It's not something we step out of or leave behind particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is true that young people feel their emotions more. Um, I think it can be true that, um, that there's an intensity around the adolescent mm-hmm. period that perhaps does fall away somewhat. And you kind of alluded to that when you were talking about your anxiety and how difficult it felt, you know, how crippling perhaps, if I can use that word, um, it felt as a teenager to how it feels now. Um, And actually it is part of that, as you say, that part of that journey of, well, I've lived with this for a long time. And so I understand what this is now better than I did um, perhaps previously. And I understand that, um, it's going to be there and then it's going to pass and that's yeah. that's a good thing yeah. um, but as a teenager that can be a very difficult thing to see definitely and it's and it's partly you know because of the lack of experience perhaps and we and so it feels like we're all, always going to feel mm-hmm. this way <laughs> um, and that's not okay life is not okay at the moment I don't want to feel like this yeah. for the rest of my life kind of um, and certainly you know I've heard my boys say something quite similar. Oh, this is horrible. I don't want this because it's mm-hmm. horrible life doing horrible yeah. things, you know, and it does feel in the moment. I, I, I remember, um, <laughs> despite, as you say, having not been a teenager for a very long time now, um, it's still quite clear, but that, uh, that, that fact in itself is interesting because going back to what the uh, person was writing mm-hmm. in the journal of youth, and, youth work and theology, you know, Actually, the fact that I can remember so clearly, <laughs> I'm, for, I'm now 45 and I can remember very clearly some of the feelings and emotions I had when I was yeah. 14. And, 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 you know, and I think it, it shows you that we do bring it all with us, even if, even if things, as things change in yeah. life in general, and even as things, uh, we are able perhaps to, to carry our, our burdens a bit more, um, I don't know. Bit more yeah. lightly well it's, I, I am um, uh, a friend of mine once told me that I crush easily and what she meant by that she didn't mean I was brittle boned she meant that I have crushes on people like I get crushes on people really easily okay. and we kind of laughed okay. and it, it was absolutely true um but when I think back mm-hmm. to the kind of 15 year old me who is just this hopeless romantic mm-hmm. and you know these crushes were absolutely mm-hmm. everything about my life you know and yeah. you know if they didn't love me then the world was over and if there was any sign oh. that maybe they did like me then what you know then everything was going to be okay forever that's kind of how it felt um and there's an element of like these feelings are kind of new so they feel kind of all encompassing and obviously there's an element of just biology as well there's hormones yeah. flying around and that kind of stuff yeah but the yeah, point is that I still yeah. get crushes on people all the time. And I think I probably mm. like always will, <laughs> but with, you know, an extra 20 years under my belt since, you know, being 15, I can recognize those mm. and kind of almost laugh at them and laugh mm. at myself about them and not feel mm. completely overwhelmed. Like my future happiness mm. depends on this one person. And I can kind of recognize that like in 
15 minutes, I won't feel this way anymore. <laughs> and in two days, it'll be somebody else. Yeah, That's I'm great. telling you, they come and go like nobody's business. <laughs> um, but yeah, so what, sorry, go on. That's such a it's such a great example. I, I can see in my mind's eye, 15 year old Tim with his sort of, you know, everything, the world is amazing because this person has shown me that, that some mm. kind of affection or returned a bit of a bit of my, my uh, crush to me. That's really lovely. What a great picture. <laughs> yeah. So I guess it's true of like, <laughs> you know, whether it's profound existential anxiety or, you know, having crushes on people, you know, that there's maybe those emotions feel so much more raw as a teenager because you have less experience mm -hmm. of them. Um, and, and again, I don't want to kind of take away from the fact that there is literally a biological, you have got hormones flying around. So maybe your emotions are coming kind of thicker and faster. I don't really know. Um, but, but uh, yeah, I definitely, I, they, they don't go, they don't, you, know, you don't get to a point where you go, I can't believe I ever felt that way as a teenager or I haven't anyway, I get to the kind of point of going, yeah, I still yeah, sometimes feel yeah, that way. Yeah. Um, and it's maybe less scary now, yeah, but yeah. those emotions are still there and I still carry yeah. them. Mm, mm. I, I remember reading, um, or actually watching a TED talk. It was not reading a thing, but watching a TED talk by a neurologist um, from here in the UK who was talking about um, adolescence and how, how, it, how it changes <clears throat> the brain. And I remember her saying, that um, adolescence is now defined as the period of time from um, from when the from when the hormones begin to kick in until that person that individual is making a kind of um, balanced contribution to society. <laughs> and at that point, I thought, "Wow, yeah, I might still yeah, be that messy." Yeah, blimey, that's a terrible <laughs> definition. <laughs> well, I think she was trying to say that adolescence lasts a lot longer than anybody really thinks it yeah. does. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the brain changes continue to happen. You know, it's not that it begins at 11 and ends at 18. It's that it's that it's, um, you know, we carry out, I guess, in a sense, she was saying we carry our youth with mm -hmm. us into adulthood. You know, we, the neurological pathways are still being created and that prefrontal cortex is yeah. still being built, you know, into our, into our young adulthood. And, and, and neurologists would say, I think, that it's the prefrontal cortex that allows us to mitigate some of those very strong emotions that we feel um, mm -hmm. as, as adolescents. Because it's the, the prefrontal cortex is the emotional stabilizer of our brain <laughs> and, and is the place where we can, we can begin to understand somebody else's point of view, which we can't do before that's before that is fully developed. And we begin to be able to measure out what is this emotion I'm feeling and do I need to act on it? Or, you know, and there's a bit of a break applied to the, um, the sort of amygdala brain, which is going, do it, do it, yeah. do it, do yeah. it now, do it now. Come on. This is what we need to be done now. So it's all really yeah. fascinating to me. Really, really fascinating. I, I think um, um, maybe steering it slightly back to religion. I, so I don't know anything about neuroscience. I find it interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I've read the odd article or whatever, and I, I always think, oh, I'd love to know more about this, but I don't really know more about it. But that, um, that mm. it feels like, to kind of give it a the theological, philosophical kind of language, that uh, amygdala with the, the do it, do it, do it bit um, in mm. in the 
the kind of in Greek, the word is eros, I think, which is a type. It's a, so there's four okay. words for love in Greek. I can't remember quite what they all are, but eros is one of yeah. them. And eros, you know, is where we get the word erotic from, yeah. but it doesn't just mean like sexy love. It means like um, yeah. that, the kind of yearning, the passion, the kind of, um, you know, I can't think of anything apart yeah. from this because the desire is so strong or whatever, you know, it's that really kind of overwhelming kind of feeling. And then the, um, tell me mm. if I've got this wrong, but I think you said the prefrontal cortex, a bit that controls you, gives you some empathy and that kind of yeah. stuff that potentially is yeah. what yeah. The, the Greeks called agape love, which is a kind of love for all of humanity, the feeding the homeless, you know, brotherly love, that kind of thing. And I think one of the reasons why the church has such a difficult relationship with young people is that the church is really comfortable talking about agape love and your kind of sense of duty, your sense of kind of yeah. Christian, you know, this, this is what we do. And, you know, it's nice to be nice to people and that kind of thing. Um, but actually we're quite scared of the Eros love, I think. Um, and again, I mean, there's, that's yeah, obviously true when it comes to conversations around sex. And I've talked about that on this podcast in a few different episodes. Um, but I think it's also true just more mm. broadly of that kind of yearning, that kind of passion, um, mm. which I think you know, we're just a bit uncomfortable around, you know, because we have a, I think a possibly kind of post-war middle-class kind of ethic sensibility um, about kind of, you know, almost like a stiff upper lip kind of thing, you know, like, uh, you know, church isn't really the place for those kinds of feelings. Nobody would ever say that, but I think that's sometimes what comes across. Um, and yes, in that sense, yes. I think it's all, you know, there was this thing, um, I think it was kind of at the beginning of last year, the the Church of England put something out. I think it was after kind of a conversation at Synod, which is like for, for those people who aren't churchy, that's the kind of uh, church's parliament almost that, that meets once a year. And they were talking about, you know, we really want to be more relevant to young people. We want young people to feel like they can come to us and that kind of stuff. And then just a few days later, they released the statement mm -hmm. about sex and sexuality that was basically saying, you know how it yes. should be, one man, one woman within marriage and just missionary position. Like I didn't go quite that far, but it was that kind of thing. And I remember just thinking, oh, come on, how can you possibly like you're trying to be relevant to young people? And then the next day releasing this like yeah. and for the record, completely unbiblical. Like, where does that come from? That that concept of sex and sexuality? It's not from the Bible, um, but just absolutely like it detached from reality kind of this this is how really things yes. should be um and i just i yeah. i i feel like the church is really missing out by not giving more of a platform mm -hmm. to the kind of eros thing to the kind of come on what do we want what are we yearning for you know it doesn't it doesn't have to be about relationships it can be you know the planet's burning come on yeah. let's get out there and do something yeah. you know it, it we're seeing right-wing fascism re-emerging come on let's 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 you know let's go to town hall and do something about it um but we yeah. I, I think a lot of church culture is almost kind of about maintaining the status quo you know it's about kind of you know well it's good to be good to people and if you're anxious maybe say a prayer um and i'm being i'm being a bit of a dick about it it's obviously not that i'm, I'm exaggerating it but it's that kind of Unfortunately, I have I have heard that uh, almost those exact thing that exact thing from 
from churches. So it's it, although it's it's a tricky one to really to really kind of uh, uh, narrow down on in, in terms of you know one can feel like well it's a complete stereotype that, that churches don't care about the climate or or they don't they're not not comfortable with the as you say the yearning the eros of um, of I don't know <laughs> the eros side of love I guess as you, as, as you pointed out um, and that can feel like it's quite negatively stereotyping but unfortunately I think there are situations there are places where that is true is the case um, and there, equally therefore there are situations there are churches where that is not the case or communities of people who are Christian or following the, the um, following a Christian path um, who might might not want yeah. to call themselves a church <laughs> um, because actually what they want is more authenticity and that thing about yearning I think is a really key is a really key thing that a lot of those who have perhaps um, moved away from a more traditional model of church have kind of gone there was no space for yearning yeah. there was no space for questioning there was no space for a kind of a, a, a sort of um, questioning gospel I guess a questioning way of looking at the life and times of Jesus and and, um, and what the bible really says about mm -hmm. x y or z and I think churches do have a tendency to be very black and white about that it's very kind of well, the bible's very clear about lots of things yeah yeah i don't yeah. think it is absolutely <laughs> actually i don't think the bible is very clear about nearly as many things as, as we like to think it is and, and that's because going back to the thing about wanting to put labels on things we are human beings and we want to put a label on something we want to be able to say this is what this means and i'm gesturing now <laughs> as if as if you can see me <laughs> We want to put it in a box, and that's the box, that's the Bible, yeah. that's what the Bible says about sexuality. And unfortunately, that is exactly what that bishop's statement mm -hmm. said, that synod statement said, was this is the box. No going out of the box, this is the box that's acceptable, and if you're outside of this box, then you're not acceptable. That's, yeah. that's what ended up coming across. And then a lot of, a lot of Church of England, particularly people, because they purported to speak for the mm -hmm. Church of England, um, a lot of people very, very disappointed and very cross and angry, actually, about that, about the way that statement yeah. was released. And, and do you know, and I mean, I, so. I don't know this, but I, think, I bet probably mm. lots of bishops were really disappointed by that statement. And I think my my yeah, my instinct think, is yeah. like, like most Christians who I meet are intelligent, thoughtful, passionate people most people who i meet are mm. but there's something about when we come together into mm. an institution yeah. and into um, i i dare say an yeah. institution with some power that squashes that kind of questioning yeah. that kind of yearning um and i i would imagine i mean i'm not hugely into many other institutions but i'd imagine people who walk the halls of parliament every day probably have the same frustrations um yeah. or you know where i think yeah. wherever there's yeah. that kind of like we have to hold on to power and we have to hold on to everybody who's here and not let anybody escape. That it, it kind of squashes that kind mm. of conversation, even though on an individual level, one by one, everyone wants those kinds of conversations and, and, and loves them and engages with them. Um, yeah. It's a really hard thing to manage. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. I think it is. And I think that's, it. it's part cut kind of points to the reason why there are so many people leaving um, mm -hmm. traditional church kind of 
um, communities or traditional church, uh, what am I trying to say there, traditional yeah. church congregational style behind moving into yeah. something that looks quite yeah. different. Um, it's quite heartening to, uh, it's quite yeah. heartening to yeah. see. So, Unless you're yeah. really fighting for the traditional church, in which case it's quite scary to see. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Um, yeah, indeed. But as, Des as Desmond Tutu has been purported to say, you know, at some point, uh, we have to stop pulling people out of the river. We have to go upstream to find out yeah, why they're yeah. why they're yeah. falling in. Um, that's true too. Of that, that is such a it's such a good statement because it applies yeah. to so yeah, many absolutely. different contexts. <laughs> and that's the, the church um, and people leaving. I think you know it. It feels like there's not many questions being yeah. asked about why people leave. Um, we seem to have moved quite a long <laughs> way this from is what where happens. we started. This, this is how all my podcasts go. <laughs> I think it's something about me. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's great, Tim. It's great. It's to, um, this is a, a bit of a departure for Jenny Talks podcast because on the Jenny Talks podcast, we do more shorter um, mm -hmm. kind of conversations with people. But I'm really interested in... Um, it's great. It, it's just fascinating to talk to people, um, and and you know you've been great. It's been great to talk at some length about a particular subject, and and just kind of let it go. It's Thank been you. great. I've really enjoyed really it. Really good. Yeah, talking to um, you. Yeah. Well. Yes. And I'm sorry great. we couldn't do. I was um, so um, for listeners. I was really hoping to drive to Jenny's uh, and do this face to face in person. Um, but the I I've got a cough, which I think probably isn't COVID, but because of the times we're living in, I'm self isolating <laughs> at the moment because of my cough. So mm -hmm. I, I haven't left the house for a few days, which oh, really? is a bummer. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's that's why we're yes. having to do it over the internet instead of in person, which would have been much more fun. But I'm definitely up for doing it another time in person if you are. Yeah, yeah, let's let's definitely, let's do that. That would be great. Okay, mm -hmm. I think our time then is coming to a bit of an end. So that's brilliant. And Tim, thank you ever so much for, for being on the Jenny Talks podcast. Uh, thank it's you really for being on the General Speech podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really looking yeah, forward to too. how this sounds when it comes out. It'll be great. Okay. All right. Thanks yeah. a lot, Jenny. All right. Take care. Take care then. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Jenny Talks podcast. In order to record this, I have used the Anchor.fm app, which has been so easy to use. Um, I really recommend um, that I recommend it to anybody who might be thinking about podcasting. Um, don't forget that I would really like to hear from you, feedback from the show you've just listened to, or just asking me questions, um, wanting to come on the show. Any of that is great. It's lovely to hear from you. Uh, my email address is jennytalks at gmail.com. You can also get in touch um, to book mentoring and training for um, those working with young people. And of course, if you want to buy my Grove book, you can find that on the Grove Books website. Thank you very much for listening. I'll speak to you next time.